The shoreline of KwaZulu-Natal province stretches on either side of its largest city, Durban, on the lush east coast of South Africa. Past lagoons and forests and sugarcane plantations, towns and shanty towns and huts. Durban, with its beaches, its subtropical climate and its famous curries, is one of the country's best loved holiday destinations. And you know you're in Durban when you see the sea. When my parents would take my sister and I on a pilgrimage down to Durban, we'd have a competition in the old Peugeot as we crested Fields Hill. Can you see it yet? My dad would ask. And soon enough, the hazy blue line would come into view. We can see it, we would squeal. We can see the sea. The tingling feeling running across your legs and your arms. Ooh. Without you even knowing, your breathing is moving in time with the waves and everything just melts away. And Irene, I tell you, the sea, that thing is like a paracetamol tablet for the soul, eh? I remember the first time the sea spoke to me. I was around six years old. We were living in the rural areas on the north coast, not far away from Kosi Bay. And my grandmother had asked me to wait for her on the shore while she collected her muti in the rock pools. Eish. That was Faye, Niren, and Nolwandle. There are characters in a play called Lalela Ulwandle, which in Isizulu means listen to the sea. My name is Kira Irwin, and I'm a social science researcher. I'm based at the Urban Futures Center. It's a research center at the Durban University of Technology. And that is Dr. Kira Irwin. She's an actual person. She's the academic who's been working in a team of other researchers and the creators of Lalela Ulandle, the award-winning Empathiatre. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment and the people working tirelessly to protect it. This is For Water For Life, the podcast series that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live, in water-scarce and unequal South Africa. I'm Gokule Tumtlunga and as always, I'm joined by Sekwetlane Pamodi. What they did at the Urban Future Centre was listen to the stories of some of the many different coastal communities who have a relationship with the sea in KwaZulu-Natal. They wanted to find a better way of addressing the threats to our oceans. Because the sea is critically important. It holds 97% of the water on Earth, and water evaporating from its surface, especially in subtropical seas like these, is at the core of our water cycle. Yeah, the role of the sea in our lives is such a big question. I mean, their sort of obvious level provides enormous sustenance through economic livelihoods, through food, and even through pleasure for humans. But really, it's a question about life on Earth. So not only do the oceans determine the weather patterns, it is, in essence, the water cycle that provides us with the water we need to live. 
It also provides 80% of the oxygen on the planet that we need to breathe. So I think what's less explored are some of the intangible meanings of the sea. In other words, how people's cultural and spiritual beliefs are also wrapped up in the ocean. So firstly, here's the bigger picture of South Africa's coastline. But for South Africa, we've got an extensive coastline. So matters of the sea are really important to us. I mean, many people live on and from coastal activities. And more recently, we've put in a successful bid under the United Nations Law of the Sea for an extended shelf claim. So in the area of the ocean of South Africa now governs is really large. I mean, in effect, a tenth province, if you will. So we really need to think carefully about how the decisions we're making could impact on our collective future. And we all know our waste is ending up in the ocean at an alarming rate. So there's a number of different areas which people are already concerned around. Plastic pollution, acidification of the oceans, a loss of biodiversity, overfishing in our seas. And then there's the area that led to the creation of Lalela Oland. Some of the minerals that are required to create big battery storage are increasingly being mined from the ocean bed, what we call rare earth minerals. So the ocean is not just, in a way, sort of collecting our waste in terms of plastic. There is also a threat to it because increasingly people would like to start to explore and drill for minerals in the ocean bed. And that links to consumerism that you might not imagine. So in other words, particularly around technology consumerism. So the desire for the latest phone, for example, even if the old one still works, is something that is driving these new searches, the sort of new frontier of trying out different minerals and technology. How it started was that Kira was contacted by an environmental justice organization, the South Durban Environmental Community Alliance. They'd asked her to mediate in a meeting that was coming up. Which at first I didn't realize it was going to be a very large meeting between groups of people who were living on the coast who had raised concern about a drilling application by an international company who wanted to go and prospect for gas, just not that far off the coastline of Durban. And PASA, who's the Petroleum Association of South Africa, who's the sort of independent body who gives permits for mining and for drilling, both on land and at sea. So when I arrived, I hadn't realized that it was going to be over 100 different representatives from different groupings along the coast. And PASA arrived with four people, including the person who does their legal appeal. And it was a fascinating meeting in one way. And the, the meeting was long because everything was translated between English and Atizuru, and that was really important so that everyone could follow the concerns. But I felt personally, and I know some of the other people in the room also frustrated by this, that PASA kept wanting to sort of lump these group of people together and say, okay, this is the community, and now we can go the community versus the international mining company, the oil and gas company. And by doing that, I felt like they really sort of simplified and dismissed to some extent the very different concerns that were being raised. 
some of the stories that she heard at the meeting stayed with her. So, for example, much older gentleman stood up and, and he came from uh, the Shishlui area and said, you know, I don't need scientists to tell me that something is wrong with our ocean. When I was younger, I could catch about 12 fish a day. I'm lucky if I can catch two in a month now. So something's wrong. And what we don't like is the idea of putting this sort of industry into our ocean so close to where we fish because that's how we eat. And then on the other side, you had far more well-off business owners from B&B who were concerned about the tourist effect. Then you had activists who were talking at a global scale around oil and gas. So to take so many different perspectives and reduce it to an idea as if there's one community voice, I think it was actually, it weakens the ability to talk back to these big companies. And so hence the idea came to let's start listening to coastal people's different stories. So the research process spent time interviewing fishers, scientists, sangomas, marine educators, and then wove these stories into a research-based theatre production. When I was a little girl, every evening before bed, my gogo would say, Come, child, settle. Close your mouth and open your ears. la 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 And she would begin telling me my favourite story. And in the end, is why you have the story of Faye, the story of Nawandle, and the story of Noreen. The brick hall in the small town near the sea offers welcome relief from the humid day. Lalela Olwandle is touring along the coast. People wander in from educators, students, scientists, members of the community, public officials, some dressed in khaki, activists in T-shirts. Some stop and raise an eyebrow because the chairs are not in rows but rather are arranged in a great circle. The sound of the waves washes from the speakers. This is how amphitheatre does things, making cunning use of space and intimacy, light and sound, as well as props. Dark, rippling fabric becomes an ocean at night and a candle becomes the moon. A great gnarly blanket becomes a rock pool on an actor's shoulders. Pop. I hadn't been expecting it. Holding my breath, clinging to that rock in the tidal pool, watching closely, as I did every morning. Pop. Another one. I'm not sure why I was so surprised. Cuttlefish growing in eggs have got to hatch sometime. Faye, who's a retired marine scientist, now these companies are planning to send in machines with big teeth to the bottom of the sea. Machines that will chase our ancestors further from us. Has no one told them that under the water, in the deep sea, is where most of our sacred ones dwell? No one who tells an intergenerational story, herself being a marine educator, her mother who's a Zionist, and her grandmother, who was a Sangoma, and the relationships to the ocean during those generational shifts, as well as forced evictions during apartheid away from the coast. So the severing of people's livelihoods and their spiritual connections to the sea by being moved inland. 
At the sound of Subudu's bell, villagers would flock to the shoreline, fish glittering all around them. Children would tighten their belts, shoving sardines into their shirts. Old aunties would scoop dozens of them up into their saris, and when those were full, they resorted to hats, petticoats, and stockings. My dad said that sardine time was one of the only times the apartheid color bar would be forgotten. The only time Durbanites were free to splash and laugh in the waves together. And then the story of Naren, who also tells the intergenerational story of his great-grandfather who arrived from India and the history of spay-neck fishing in Durban, which is a history that's often sort of forgotten but has really rich understandings about the sea. So after the show, the audience then has an open and frank discussion about what these stories mean, and particularly when you listen to them together, for thinking about ocean governance in South Africa. You know what I'm thinking? How interesting it would be to have Murendeni Mafumo in this audience. Right. So Murendeni invented the water purifier with the macadamia nutshell filter that's giving communities access to clean drinking water. And Murendini's company, Gusini Water, is also looking to the oceans for drinkable water through desalination, but without harming the sea any further. Desalination effectively means turning salt water into drinking water. And in the future, it may be done by using graphene-based filters. Graphene, very basically, is a material made of very thin layers of carbon atoms arranged in a kind of honeycomb structure. These superfine honeycomb-shaped pores have been proved to be very effective filters, especially for purifying water. Gusini Water is gearing up to manufacture sheets of this graphene material at scale and supply desalination plants. He says it's cheaper and takes way less energy than the current method. We're going to be the first local African producer of graphene-based and nanofiber material and working with amazing academic institutions that have been working on, on the research for graphene for the last couple of years, chemistry departments mostly. A few years ago, I went to Israel and we went to visit Israel's or one of the world's biggest desalination plant. They are, because of the fact that they can do it at big scale, huge scale, they can produce seawater for much, much cheaper, much, much cheaper than we can do here in South Africa. And so Gusini has started planning a pilot project to test their technology. We've been in conversation for a couple months, if not over a year, in Namibia for seawater because our water security is a huge challenge. Once we have all our manufacturing and we've put all our systems in place, that's going to be our pilot sites. We want to be able to get a lot more into Kenya, a lot more into other parts in East Africa, as well as do better responses for a place such as Mozambique, and because uh, using our rapid response system, but for desalination. Mozambique has huge challenges when it comes to disaster relief work. So we want to be able to do that. But Namibia is definitely our, our second pilot site. We're just waiting right now to finish off our commercialization stuff. Back in KwaZulu-Natal, what Lalela Ulwande teaches us is that the fate of the oceans is entangled with how humans respond, not just to mining and climate change, but also to the inequalities that exist in our society. At sunrise, before the fishermen would head out to sea, they would say a prayer to appease Minakshi. And the goddess, it seemed, smiled ever so benevolently down upon them. 
transforming their passion for the sea into a decent living. We came together to show them that the communities that make up this coastline are not a single group or a voice. We all have special relationships with our mother, Unoluanle. Different cultural beliefs and concerns. Our stories must be heard. These sacred sites and places of communal memory are what's called intangible heritage. It's not a human-built structure. It's embedded in both nature and community. And, I mean, for the most part, just very exciting and moving responses to the play. Just how important it was for people to have their cultural practices and that sort of intangible heritage, which is just forgotten in conversations about the ocean, really recognised as important and as important as the scientific argument for why we should really start protecting the ocean. So I think what we tried hard to do was not to say, oh no, you should just listen to the science or you should just listen to the economic livelihood argument or just listen to the spiritual argument. We wanted to place them together and also recognizing how even in science, there's a kind of awe and wonder for the ocean that's very much part of a scientist's job elbowing our way into these private realms, places where things spark and bounce in the dark, things we could never imagine. (laughs) And yet, here we are, scurrying on land, desperate to control this living, breathing mystery, a fantasia that after 40 years of study, not even I can understand. So why we think that's important is that if you have a look at the policy framework where you can protest or have objection to forms of exploring for gas by drilling in the seabed, they do recognise tangible heritage. But that is only for shipwrecks. So if you come across a shipwreck, you have to stop drilling. Or if you come across what they call sort of ancient archaeological caves, in which human remains are below the seabed. You have to stop drilling. But, you know, thinking about heritage as something that's dead or an artifact is really problematic because heritage is living. And in fact, it's the living heritage which often shape people's lives more immediately than the artifacts of the past, which of course are important as well. So Lelo Wande was trying to make a case, um, or at least to, to start to get a process in Africa thinking about how intangible heritage, living heritage, is something that should also be recognised in policy and that this could maybe be a starting point for building solidarities across the front and to make better environmentally just decisions around how humans interact with the ocean now. So what happened to the plane next? It toured the coast and then Durban. And in March, Lalela headed to Makanda in the Eastern Cape. And then the COVID pandemic happened and lockdown hit, so the team had to hurry home. We were so excited because we were meant to take this to a United Nations ocean conference and play it for even possibly some heads of state, it seemed like. But that didn't happen, obviously. So what we did is we got it recorded as a podcast and that's available freely to listen to. And we also then ran special sessions for the United Nations World Ocean Week, where we did a webinar both on Lelelo Wante, and there's a small animation that we're working on, both in Isisugu and in English, to explore how important understandings of the water cycle, and actually how similar in some ways they are to the scientific water cycle, about how our energy moves around the planet. So we've done those, but obviously 
with that, you're reaching only an audience who has the data and the connectivity. And we've also done two training sessions for United Nations fellows to try and get them thinking about intangible heritage. So I think that one way we've managed to get into the policymaking space during this time, but it's far more difficult to get into a more grounded space within the coastal regions during this time. Instead, what's happened is some of our researchers, Taryn Pereira, who's a part of it, has been working with other One Ocean pubs scientists to try and assist the small-scale fishers who had a really tough time under COVID. But even though some of them have customary rights to fish, and it is livelihood literally to feed families, they were arrested during the lockdown. So a lot of the team have been working with small-scale fishers in an attempt to try and assist them in legal cases that they're undergoing at the moment. But what about the future of the KwaZulu-Natal coastlines? There are some incredible scientists who are very willing to learn from each other. And there are some very strong activist voices who for many years have been working around environmental justice in pollution through mining and other land-based industries. So our hope, and in some ways it, it started, is to start to get these ways of thinking around ocean policy decision-making. I asked Kira what we, as individuals, can do to protect the sea. So I think the one thing is we need to become more interested and concerned about water and the ocean. That does mean we need to think about where are we putting our money? Like who, who are we supporting when we buy this product versus another one, for example? And then to start to imagine why actually concerns around racism, sexism, and many other forms of discrimination, I mean, economic inequality, you know, how capitalism works to divide people, why these are actually fundamentally linked to ideas around environmental justice. I think we have to get more comfortable with the complex mess. That means that, of course, while taking a single issue might be important, but we have to start to think about how all of this is related. We can see now that when a crisis arrives and the environmental crisis is arriving off, if we don't understand each other, if we can't recognize how inequality divides us, we are far less equipped to respond. Lalela Uluandle did all of this by asking one simple question. What's your first memory of the sea? You know, not everyone's aware, actually, of how important the ocean is to ancestral beliefs in our country. And you can see, too, from the Wren story, that actually there's many different religious rituals which are done to and with the ocean. But there are other intangibles, and that's these incredible moments in which people find solace and a sort of spiritual healing in the ocean. And I keep thinking what my father used to say to me. You, you remember, you remember what he used to say to me? No, Kana. What he used to say? What the sea give it, the sea take it away. I followed the voice to the edge of the shore and stood there where the waves began to tickle my toes. If you've enjoyed this episode, then you need to listen out for another formidable woman and her story of water and spiritual heritage. I'm Pateleni Magaululi Matumba Mukwewa. 
and my name is not just a name. Magadzi Bompateleni is a traditional healer and activist in the Bembe district of the Limpopo province. We can't live without indigenous forests. Indigenous forest is the one which powers, which contains everything to function. Indigenous forest houses we, we breathe from indigenous forest. Indigenous forest also gets something. Everything, water, we can't have water without indigenous forest. But Makazi's story is one for another episode of For Water, For Life. I'm Sigwetlane Pamudi. And I'm Kokule Tumtlungu. Thank you for listening to this episode. All our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za and the series was made possible because of Jojo, For Water, For Life. Find us on social media at For Water, For Life and share your water stories using the hashtag ListenToTheWater because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of For Water for Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters, or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.